and try again. Horror Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. A what up? And shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hegg, and with me, as always, my friend... My mentor, my teacher, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? Shalom. How's it going, brother? Shalom. <laughs> if uh, if our listeners can't tell, we're back in our uh, in our normal locations. Uh, last week we were over. I I was over in Spokane. Rob was in his normal location, but we actually he left his office. And as our regular listeners know, we had a couple of people on with us. My father, Tim Hag, Ariel Berkowitz. Gary Springer came on the show with us, and uh, I listened to the, you know, I, I was fiddling the whole time with the, with the soundboard. It was a soundboard that I had never used before, and it was, it was a little bit different. So I apologize for all the sound issues that were going on last last week, but now we're back. We're back to our normal selves. You know, Caleb, you might be three, 400 miles away, but the aroma of Messiah that you and... My other colleagues from Tor Resource left still is fresh in Spokane. Oh, good. Well, I'll tell you what. I, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, having my father and Ariel Berkowitz and yourself in uh, one place at one time is like having, you know, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, and I don't know who's another good baseball player. <laughs> All on the same field at the same. I mean, it really was. It really was good, and uh, yeah. that's what we're going to talk about today. We're gonna we're gonna debrief our audience on the uh, on the UMJA conference that happened last week in Spokane. So first, let's say a big shout out and a big thank you to Rayuel Dillon, who is one of the founders and I believe the current president of the UMJA. That stands for United Messianic Jewish Assemblies. We at Torah Resource are not in any way affiliated with the UMJA. Um, however, they ask us, they ask my father every year to come and speak, and I go with him. And this year, and then I think you're, you usually are asked to speak as well, right, Rob? You this, didn't, is the, this is the second year that I've given a presentation. But not in a row, because you didn't, you didn't present last year, right? Correct. Yeah. So, uh, but this year they decided to get us all out there, and uh, so yeah, the, the whole the entire staff of, as it is right now of Tora Resource was out in Spokane and uh, presented every single one of us, the Fantastic Five, the Fantastic no. Five, including <laughs> everyone, every one of us, including myself, and I'm not a teacher or a scholar in any way, shape, or form. Pardon me, I'm knocking stuff around over here. Um, I'm not a scholar in any way, shape, or form, but uh, someone didn't show up that was going to present, and uh, they needed a slot filled, and Rob, just out of the blue, said, oh, well, Caleb should, <laughs> Caleb should present a paper, uh, which was, I guess, the way that the Lord wanted it, because I ended up presenting a paper, and you can actually find that online right now. He can yeah, find. Go on. I'm just telling you guys, you listeners out there, go on there, watch Caleb, watch the thunder, the <laughs> son of thunder. That's what everybody told me. Everybody said, "Wow, you got some. You got the pulpit of fire up there, man. You got some fire coming out of you." And I didn't mean to be like, you know, 
fiery. I no, guess it was great. It was I, great. I guess that's just how I am. I guess that's my personality. I need to. Your I passion. need to. Your passion comes right across, and um, it's very effective. I need to take out some of the passion, though. Apparently, because uh, you know, my my father said to me afterwards that uh, speaking is like uh, playing music. If you if the whole thing's forte, then uh, you don't. You know, no one no one realizes. You know, you have to have the dynamics. So. Something to work on for uh, for the next time I present, but yeah, no, it was fun. It was good. So you can go on to uh, on to my my YouTube page now, and you can find the lecture that I gave, which is entitled "Is Messianic Judaism Really a Part of Modern Judaism?" And then later on today, actually, uh, by the time this airs, the uh, teaching by Gary Springer will be up, and uh, he spoke on the parable of the sower, which also was very good. Um, so I've edited that whole thing already, and uh, it's up on YouTube. So go find it. Go find those teachings. You'll also be able to find Gary's teaching on TorahResource.com. You'll be able to get it totally free if you want. You'll be able to watch it totally free as well, live stream it. And uh, so, yeah. Anyway, so we're going to talk today about uh, the UMJA conference and some of the fun stuff that we did. I actually invited my good friend, Adam, who I speak about often on this show. He was at the UMJA conference with us, as were a a good amount of our friends. And uh, I invited Adam to come on and talk about the UMJA conference with us because, uh, yeah, he was there the whole time. And uh, his, his beard exuded wisdom for everyone there. (laughs) <laughs> if, if you've never seen Adam, the guy's he got... He probably had the best beard. I think he definitely... I think if yeah. we would go back and give, like, awards... Oh, he would definitely... First place. Hands down. Hands down, first place. Yeah, he's... He's <laughs> he's got, like... He's he's verging on a Gandalf beard. It's it's pretty epic. Um. Anyway, so I invited him to come on. He He's working. I understand that he's got, you know... He's he's a he's a working man, and so uh, I'm kind of waiting to see if he if he uh, gets a hold of me to say yeah I'll, I'll jump on or not. We'll see by the end of the show. I guess we'll know. Uh, go ahead and uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Caleb Hag. There's two G's in Hag. You can follow Rob Vanhoff on Twitter. He's at Rob Vanhoff. Two F's. Um, what else? Oh, you can follow Torah Resource on Twitter too. At Torah Resource. Yeah. I don't think I've ever told anybody that. If you disagree with us anytime, anytime you listen to this show, if you disagree with us, shoot us an email at uh, radio at TorahResource.com. Sorry about that. It's We will take your silence yes. as agreement. Yeah, pretty much. We, we basically feel that everyone who has ever listened to us at any point has totally agreed with us 100% hands down. And the reason why is because no one has said to the contrary. So, you know, I guess that just, you know, that just means that we're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so radio at TorahResource.com. If you disagree, if you agree, that's fine, too. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll let you listen if you agree with us. <laughs> but it's really those disagreeers out there that we want to hear from. Well, you know, one of the reasons I want to hear from the disagreeers is because that, you know, that fuels uh, the conversation. And if you if you disagree with us, and it seems like you know you disagree with us, yeah, we've had people on who disagree with us before. Right. right. We had uh, Chris Rosebro on, and even though Jim Staley uh, believes that the Torah should be you know is is applicable for Gentiles today, as we believe, even though uh, he believes that, we we disagree with Jim on on several different topics. 
Um, things that we actually didn't talk about. You know, one thing that I realized at this last conference is that this whole blood moon thing that went on, I mean, we've talked about the blood moons on the, uh, on the air before. And the whole picture graph that that you know these are huge issues in the in the messianic in the messianic realm right now, you know the idea that like the Aleph Tav Bible and along with the idea now the people at the UMJ don't necessarily you know the leaders of the UMJ don't necessarily believe that, but some of the people that were there definitely do. And man, somebody bought. I felt so bad for this this one lady. She she had bought um what's his name. Uh, Biltz's book on the blood moons and and I kind of I kind of downed I didn't down her but I just downed the book a little bit you know she asked my opinion of the book before I realized she had just bought it so I felt bad about that anyway okay so let's talk about uh, let's talk about the UMJA conference and some of the things that went on uh, first of all we got there on Wednesday last Wednesday so a week ago yesterday we got there and we were there for five days we were there all the way through Sunday essentially. Ted Pierce was there, and many of you might know that I wrote a short essay that I posted online called A Grenade for Ted Pierce, and I did that because Ted Pierce had written a thing on his Facebook page, and social media is just everywhere in it, that's how, that's how I get all my information now. Uh, it's, so, it's so social. It is, <laughs> it is very social, that is, that is for sure. Uh, Ted Pierce had written something called his annual grenade for the messianic movement. And basically what he does is he kind of, you know, he kind of ruffles everybody's feathers by disagreeing with certain denominations, if you will, of messianic Judaism. And so he, he mentioned one law messianic Judaism in his post. And so my article, a grenade for Ted Pierce was in response to that. So Mr. Pierce was there at the conference he was extremely gracious. He was a very nice fellow, and I got my picture taken with him, and, and uh, I was able to sit down and chat with him for a little while, and we kind of cleared the air and uh, realized that we were both pretty much on the same side. Uh, his, I think, I think pretty much his understanding of one law Messianic Judaism was a little bit skewed from what we actually believe. So in other words... Maybe he is representing some form of one law, but definitely not the form that we hold to. Uh, so that was good to clear the air. What were some? Oh, of the sure, yeah, that's. A, I didn't know that you were able to have that conversation. That's great to hear. Well, well, and one of the reasons that I say that you know uh, he might be, re you know, he might have in his mind one form of of uh, of one law theology is because I posted a picture on Facebook now of me with Mr. Pierce. And uh in and, and a lot of people commented and a lot of people said some some different things. Uh but one of the things that what I mean I don't even know where to start with this. Uh so this one person says, "Love is music, but we have disagreements in how the Torah operates and who should follow it. Glad you two got together." So Mr. Pierce writes back, uh, we only disagree on whether you can force it on someone else. Now, I don't think that we should force the Torah on anyone. Yeshua is going to do that when he comes back anyway, right? He's going to rule with a wrought iron. So it's not my place to force the Torah on anyone. You don't see me going out and, and you know, smashing plates that have bacon on them from people I know are believers. I, you know, that's not what we do. Uh, so then this person responds and says... Since there's only one law for the children and the stranger, uh, it's for all. If you want it, uh, if you want in, follow the house rules. It's actually pretty simple. Now, this is where I jump into the conversation. 
because uh, this phrase, if you want in, you follow the house rules. I totally reject that idea. Uh, that To me, what it sounds like this person is saying is, is that you have to keep Torah to be quote-unquote in. And this is the form of, messi- of, of quote, one law. I don't even think I would say that, that applies to one law theology. But I think that that's where Ted Pierce was coming from, is that he kind of felt like this is, you know, this is what one law is, is this idea that, that uh, you know, you have to keep the Torah to be in. So I wrote back on that, uh, and then this person says again, uh, let's see here, where's another one? Um, Well, let's find my response. So I I write back to this person, I say, I would also disagree with the statement, keeping Torah isn't how you get in, but it is how you stay in. that's, That's nonsense. And I I continue on, I write, uh, God justifies us from the foundations of the world. There is nothing I can do to lose my salvation, as there is nothing I can do to gain my salvation. Torah has nothing to do with our salvation. It has to do with our sanctification unto God, once he has justified us unto himself, which was before the foundations of the world. I strongly disagree with the idea that we can lose our salvation. And Rob and I have talked extensively about we dedicated a whole show, I think actually two whole shows, to the idea of Calvinism and Arminianism, or what would perhaps best be known as a Wesleyan view versus a sovereign grace view. I hold to a sovereign grace view. Uh, This person then has said, you know, if if you're going to take that standpoint, you have to prove it from the scriptures. And I wrote back and said, quote, And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8.30. And then I also reference, And I give eternal life to them, that is his chosen, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. John 10.28. I think that that's pretty clear. And uh, I go on to state that uh, the exa- one of the examples that I would use is Israel. And my father uses this example often. The idea that no matter what Israel does, they're still God's chosen people. He will, God will never forsake Israel, no matter what they do, because he's already made the promise that he will never forsake them. And that is exactly like our relationship with God. If he's predestined us from the foundations of the world, there's absolutely no way to... Uh, to, to you know, jump out of his hands of salvation, if you will. And actually, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, t- tell me if you felt this too. You know, uh, there was somebody who, <clears throat> excuse me, there was somebody who presented a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, he presented, his name was Max. He presented at the uh, at the conference. And uh, I was able to talk to him. But during his during his uh, his lecture, I kind of felt like he was saying something that made it sound like he was saying that we had something to do with our salvation. So I raised my hand and I I asked him to clarify and kind of challenged him on that on that issue. Well, then of course when he re- when he responded, I felt bad for the guy. When he responded, my dad raised his hands his hand and and that's when everyone kind of said, "Oh no, here we go," because uh, well, that wasn't the only time either. There was a uh, I think it was Yosef Morgan. Also, after one of uh, your father, Tim Haig's uh, uh, presentations... That's right. uh, ...confronted about the issue of, you know, that some are predestined 
you know, that to eternal fire, basically. The idea that, you know, he, he actually seemed to be saying that God would be unjust. Yeah, unjust if he if he predestined people uh, to, to hell. Basically. To hell, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so there was some back and forth there, and it was hard. There was a little bit of a language barrier. But what was apparent to me, absolutely apparent to me in both those situations, is from my perspective, now in both cases I was at the back of the room, and it's not always easy to hear the conversation if the mic's not there, but um, that these other two men did not have uh, fluency in history of, of church doctrine, um, all the issues involved with either side, whether they want to take an Arminian or a Calvinist side, they didn't have a strong foundation in even understanding the arguments. So it was very, it was almost like your dad was trying to communicate um, to someone who really had spent their time focusing on something completely different, yeah. and they were really out of their league. And and so, um, not because I want think that they need to be one way or another, but they just they were asking questions that um, reflected a real immature development in that specific realm. Well, and, and what was interesting is after all this went on, uh, after you know the comments were made and, and, the, and that kind of thing, and, and my, my father kind of went back and forth with this one gentleman, uh, after that, a lot of people actually kind of came up to my father and to me and wanted to talk about the idea that uh, you know people were predestined or that the elect were were uh, chosen by God from the foundations of the world. Now, I, I just don't understand. You know, once again, go back. You can hear our our, uh, our show on this. You can find it in the archive podcast. If you don't have a uh, if you don't have an, a full access pass, you can get one for what I believe is quite cheap sixty dollars a month. You can listen to any year. <laughs> I, 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 I said a month. It's we'll sixty dollars. We'll take sixty dollars a month. It's sixty dollars a year. That's right, sixty dollars a year. And it's not just our show. You can listen to any show on Torah Resource Radio. Anyway, not the point. Uh, the point is, is that I think it's quite clear from the scriptures that we that you know that we're, we're chosen from the foundations of the world, and there's nothing that we have ever done. For, for some reason, out of God's holiness and his grace, he has decided uh, to, to have some be his elect and others to not be his elect. One of the things, one of the uh, passages that I found uh, that I was kind of surprised my father didn't bring up was the passage, and I believe it's Proverbs 16, where it says the, uh, oh, what is it? Um, the wicked were made for the day of the Lord. Now, I don't know how you can take that any other way. What, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean that the wicked were made for the day of the Lord? Uh, that's a pretty, I mean, I understand the whole, I, you know, within, human, within the human concept, we think fair, unfair. There, I, I right. don't think there's any such thing with, with God. There's no such thing as fair or unfair. Uh, you know, well, are we supposed to say I the agree. I, I, I think of Psalm 95, uh, verse 7, where it says, when the wicked sprouted up like grass yeah. and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only, only that, that they, they might, might be destroyed, destroyed forevermore. That's right. That is right. Yeah, yeah exactly. In other words, uh, and that's... They had one know, purpose. Exactly. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Anyway, so one of the things that I uh, that I did... You know, I've always known that within the messianic, quote unquote, messianic movement, and this goes across the board. I don't think that it's, uh, I don't think it's just, uh, you know, one law or anything. You know, two household is the same way, and everything. 
there's a predominant amount of people who hold to a Wesleyan view. That is that there that uh, we have free will and that we choose that we choose God. Uh, basically, uh, there's a predominant amount of people within the Messianic movement who are Wesleyan, who hold to a Wesleyan view. That surprises me. Actually, that was one reason that my father, when he met Ariel Berkowitz, that was one thing that my father really liked about Ariel, is that uh, he's a Calvinist. And, you know, perhaps that's the wrong, perhaps that's the wrong word, you know, but whatever. We, we use it for lack of a better word. You know, I, I consider myself a Calvinist. I used to say I was a 4.5 Calvinist. In fact, I said that at the, uh, you know, at the at the conference. Instead of a 5-point Calvinist, 4.5 Calvinist. I used to say that because, um, you know, do, do I really agree with everything that Calvin said? No, I don't. But on his five on the five points of Calvin, which Calvin didn't come up with, but um, on the four, five points of Calvin, you know, after I rethought it this weekend, I would have to say, yeah, I agree with the five points of Calvin that were that were made, you know, uh, by that council. Um, anyway, so enough about enough about uh, the whole idea of Wesleyan versus sovereign grace. That was one of the uh, that was one of the issues that went on at the conference. I thought it was good that we were able to present that side of the argument. Anyway, so Rob, now Rob presented twice. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you presented on? Well, my first presentation was an exploration of three points in John chapter three. Uh, One was the idea of who were the Pharisees. And I kind of, I, I took Ariel's presentation from the previous day as a springboard. Ariel took some time to show that you know, fair. It's it's not a monolithic group, so we need to be sensitive to um, to context and differentiation between different uh, Pharisees that are in the Bible and from history. We can see that there's a little bit of diversity within that group generally. So we explored that uh, because, of course, Nicodemus is a is a Pharisee. Then we looked at this Greek word anothen, which has it's it has two meanings. It can mean again or above. It, it means both things. And I showed how in the the Greek Torah tradition in the prophets— Wait, hang on just a sec. Say that again. It could mean above or— it, it, Yeah, it, this one word, anothen, uh, that's used in, when, when Yeshua says uh, one must be born anothen. And what are the two it, options, though? The above. one option is again. It means again. Okay. Or it means above. from above. Okay. Keep going. I'm sorry. And Nicodemus takes it to mean one thing, but Yeshua is holding to the other. And so that's part of the one of the uh, crux issues here in John chapter 3. So we explored that. We looked at, in the Septuagint, the lion's share of uses of Anothen has to do with uh, heaven above. And we looked at different instances of that. And why is it then that Nicodemus uh, thinks in terms of, again, why wouldn't he know this? And Yeshua seems to be asking about that. I'm t- telling you earthly things, you don't get it. How are you going to get it if I tell you heavenly things? And mm-hmm. um, some of the ramifications, what does that mean, be born above? Um, a side question is why it, in evangelical circles is it so popular to say, hey, oh, are you born again or I'm born again? Um, it, it really keeps people thinking in terms more of this linear uh, Nicodemus approach rather than this approach that just seems to be evident that Yeshua is talking about above. And we know even from the end of John 3, when John the Baptist is talking, he uses this word anathan in parallel with heaven. You know, he who is from above, he who is from heaven, speaks uh, God's words. And so 
we explored that. And then the third uh, word from John 3 that we explored is this verb, hupsao, or uh, to, be, to lift up or to be exalted, to be lifted up or exalted. And, and Yeshua uses it twice, once referring to what Moses did to the serpent in the wilderness and then applies it to himself as the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then we looked at um, other places that verb is used both in the Gospel of John and with respect to Yeshua. Uh, and we see that uh, it has a sense of the, the type of death that he would die, so the lifting up, you know, the physical being put on the cross, but it's also used in the uh, Acts of the Apostles, for example, to uh, refer to Yeshua's exaltation, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. So we explored all those in that first talk, uh, talk, and I probably tried to cram way too much in one hour. The second presentation, I tried to cram probably more <laughs> than that <laughs> in one hour, and we looked at um, the main text probably was Second Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about um, being caught up into paradise, into the third heaven. And we looked at this notion of paradise in because uh, it's only used a few times. Well, Yeshua, in, Yeshua uses it on the cross. Right. Uh, he says, today you'll be with me in, in paradise. Right. And then uh, Paul uses it there. He says, I was caught up into the third paradise, right? Right, the third heaven, and then he calls it paradise. And so we looked at... Uh, he doesn't uh, say I was. I'm sorry. I'm going to get emails about that if, if we let that one go. He says, I knew a man about 15 years ago. Right. He says about 14 years ago. Right, exactly. And and he, so Paul's, he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Um, and you think Paul's he was talking like, about himself? Really, you think he was talking yeah. about himself? Go he, ahead. Yeah. Do you think Paul was talking about himself? Oh, yeah. I think he was talking about himself. He comes at the end. He says that, you know, because of the abundance of these revelations, he was given a thorn in the flesh. And so this word revelation was another thing explored. So apocalypsis. Paul's use of it, he uses it in Galatians, he uses it in Second uh, Corinthians. Uh, Why do you think he says, I knew a man? Do you think he was just trying to, you know, like, we write to, when we write today, we kind of we kind of do these, you know, I, I, I try to put a little humor in every once in a while into my papers so that people, uh, you know, people can have a little bit of a chuckle every once in a while, you know, keep it not so dry. You think Paul was doing that? Like, <laughs> I knew this guy one time. You know, yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a way of there's a distancing that's he, that he's doing. You know, this is not who he is now. I think there's an element to that. Okay. Paul does talk about in other places about when he was a child and then he, he put away his childish things mm-hmm. and something that at one time he boasted in as if these revelations, he, he took them uh, as a sign of maybe that he was someone special and what he seems to have learned as you trace his letters and his his preaching that comes across um, in his letters is that he counts himself as nothing and everything is in Messiah now. And so I think that not only is there a distancing between him and these revelations, it seems to be that there were other preachers out there who were claiming that these visions were the source of their authority. Mm-hmm. And, and that encouraging other people to try to achieve these kinds of visions. So it seems like Paul is not interested in, in teaching others to, uh, 
to try to justify their own identity by. So he's uh, trying to take some of the authority weight out of his own statements. Is is kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I think he's he he wants to let people know that you know he did have these experiences, um, but on the flip side, that there's that they're not the source of of his identity in Messiah. In other words, they're not a source. And even if believers in Yeshua do have these kinds of experiences, they're not a source. Uh, you know, their true that their true strength is in weakness. And and that's why, you know, as he's Paul says that he was given this thorn in the flesh and he endured beatings and things. And this was ultimately not to his glorification of his, of himself, but rather the, to the glory of Messiah uh, that Paul would lean on, like like he says, and the and the Lord told me three times, you know, my grace is uh, sufficient for you, mm-hmm. for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Mm-hmm. So that through the the trials that Paul went through while proclaiming the gospel, um, that he could endure, but it was to Yeshua's glory. So it's, it's kind of a little paradox there, but you know, um, that's. Just the nature of the of the deal. So your second paper was, uh, you know, basically on that whole that whole concept. Um, you know, we're going to take a quick break right here, right now. Uh, looks like I just got a text message from my friend Adam. He said, uh, "Tell Rob salutations." Actually, he said <laughs> shalom. Um, but yeah, he's not going to be able to make it on today. He's got too much work to do. Not a problem at all. We'll get him on some other time. Actually, it's funny because we, we were standing there. We were standing at the conference. I was standing next to Adam, Adam and my other really good friend, uh, Dennis Fabe, and his wife, Toy, were uh, there at the conference. And Dennis walked up, and, and uh, I said, oh, Dennis, this is my friend, Adam. And he goes, oh, are you the infamous Adam from the Robin Caleb show? Yeah, all right. See? <laughs> and Adam's so we, famous. That's right. We, we, we've given Adam a little bit of fame, and that's, that's great. Um, okay, so uh, we're going to be right back in just a few minutes. We'll talk more about the UMJ conference, some of the things that went on there, and then also uh, about my night that I had last night. We'll be back right after this. listening to the rob and caleb show you bet you are listening to the rob and caleb show that's us yeah that's we that's we we were just talking about the well during the break we were talking about the the music uh that we went out to yes my son benjamin who is 20 months old right now he uh i don't know if, if everyone knows that song happy by pharrell it's quite the hit amongst the youngsters these days Anyway, my 20-month-old son, son, it's a hit for him. We get into the car, and he says, uh, he says dance, and then, then we have to put on Happy by Pharrell. <laughs> and he gets his arms going like he's marching or something. It's so funny. It's just hilarious. Anyway, welcome back to the Rob and Caleb Show. Here we are. It's a beautiful Thursday. Well, it's beautiful here. It's beautiful in Spokane. I don't know if it's beautiful where you are, wherever you are, where you're listening, but... So uh, before we get back into the into the UMJ conference, <clears throat> pardon me. Let's talk a little bit about my night last night. Uh, on the way back home from the UMJ conference, this is Sunday evening. I was driving back. We were coming through the pass. 
I got a call from someone saying, hey, we're trying to put an impromptu show together for this gentleman, Mikael Ben-David. Now, if you listen to Torah Resource Radio often, or if you listen to, there's another internet radio station out there that's Messianic. Should I name it? By Judah Gabriel. Uh, Judah Gabriel is my friend. So, yes, I believe his radio station is called, what is it, Chavarat? Is that right? Oh, that's, I don't know if that's it, but it's something close to that. It's something close to that. Anyway, you can find it. I think I gave him, I actually, uh, years and years ago, I had the idea for a Messianic radio station. And uh, and this was long before Torah Resource Radio was even a like a viable option or a thought. And so what I did was I went online and I and I grabbed up all the all the good URLs. I I grabbed uh, I think I grabbed messianicradio.com. I grabbed the Twitter feed at Messianic Radio. I grabbed uh, facebook.com backslash Messianic Radio. And then uh, when we finally, when years later, when Torah Resource Radio came to be a, an option, I, I realized, well, these aren't going to be the handles that I want for this anyway. So I contacted Judah Gabriel and gave him, this is a long story for no reason, honestly. I don't know why I'm telling it. Anyway, I gave him those URLs. So I'm good friends with him. You can go and find him on Twitter at Messianic Radio. That's where his radio station is. Anyway, it's all music. Anyway, all this to say that uh, we play a lot of Mikael Ben David on Torah Resource Radio, as do other places that have messianic uh, messianic music. So he's he's rather uh, he's kind of a, a little bit of a you know a rock star in the messianic circles. He kind of has a little bit of a Karlbach, uh, Shlomo Karlbach sound to to his music. And uh, so I asked this person called and said, hey, you know, this uh, this is what's going on. We're trying to get a uh, show put together for him. And uh, so I asked where they were having it. And it just so happens that it was down at a, a vintage clothing store. No joke. It was in the back of a vintage clothing store is where the show was going on. And uh, it, it was pretty much like a big closet is where he was going to play. And so I did some calling. I got a hold of him. I said, hey, can we record it for, for Torah Resource Radio? Can we record the show for Torah Resource Radio? You know, maybe we'll get an interview with you. He said, absolutely. So then he needed a uh, PA as well. They didn't have a PA down there. So uh, my father and I, you know, said, okay, let's, let, we'll, we'll put the PA together for you. So then uh, he said, do you know any uh, violin or cello players? Just so happens I've been oh. playing the cello since I was six years old. And Caleb's I, like... Let me check. Just a second. <laughs> yeah, hang on just a second. Let me make some calls. Then he's like, yeah. Uh, so I just found out that I play the cello. <laughs> Something like that. And so I uh, I said, yeah, I play the cello. I would love to come down and uh, play a song or two with you. Which right on. That song or two actually turned into the entire show, and I sat yeah. up there with him for two hours. And it wasn't, you know, I got to say the one thing about uh, uh, Mikael ben, ben David, he doesn't like his shows to be a normal music show. It's not, uh, you know, it's it's not a music show, really. It's not a show to go see him. What he likes to do is he likes to put on more like a worship service. And uh, so, you know, all glory to the Lord. And, and uh, you know, he prays a lot. He reads scripture throughout his shows and, and all this kind of stuff. So really what it was was, was uh, you know, us basically providing an opportunity for about 30 to 40 people to be able to worship in the back room of a vintage uh, clothing store in downtown Tacoma. And uh, it was fun. It, you know, it was. It was a good time. I, uh, you know, 
I really wish my brother would uh, would would step up and start playing some messianic music uh, with me because I think that we could really just uh, put together some 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 cool stuff. But for for what it was and for the for the amount of time that we had to plan this this little event, uh, I thought it was really good. And we had we had a couple of uh, families from Beit Hillel come out. That's the congregation that I attend, and uh, we had some. Uh, some brothers and sisters from another congregation come out, uh, another congregation here in, T- in Tacoma. And it was nice to meet them and uh, see, you know, it's always weird when I see people in Tacoma that have seats eat on that I don't know. That's always kind of a trip because there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of people in Tacoma that, that wear seats eat. So it was a lot of fun. So special thanks uh, and shout out to Mikael Ben David and uh, all the people that uh, showed up to that show. We're going to be airing that and uh, possibly an interview. I still need to do an interview with him. So uh, we're going to be airing that on Tour Resource Radio in the next, uh, hopefully in the next month or two. Very cool. Yeah, it was good. Praise and God. A- and actually, speaking of, of intimate worship sessions, uh, when we were over in Spokane, one of, the, one of the highlights I thought for myself was we got to go to Heart of Messiah, which uh, I know two of the leaders there. One of them is our esteemed Rob Van Hoff. Man, that was that was such a fun time. It was it was really good. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys came out. Well, yeah. So let me set the stage for everyone. Uh, you know, let me paint you a, a, a an image in your mind uh, for our listeners. Basically, they have ta- Rob and Adam Cronister, and uh, if you listen to Torah Resource Radio, then you hear the co- commercial for Mosif, which is the Messianic Widows Night, no, Messianic Orphans, Orphans and Widows, and, widows yeah. and Children's. Uh, associate or fund or I don't know, so Mosif, yeah, and uh, so that that's all headed up by Adam Cronister. He's a wonderful believer and a great guy. Him and his wife are actually leaving for Rome and Greece, right, in the next uh, couple of days. Yeah, they're going to go to Corinth, oh, and uh, we're I'm just so, so excited for them to have that time together and then to come back and share photos there. But yeah, they're going to. We're praying that the Lord opens some awesome doors for Adam and Heather while they're over there to see some really cool ancient stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I like to say that I'm righteously jealous, but I'm bordering on unrighteous jealousy because I really <laughs> want to be over there. Not only that, he's after uh, Adam and Ariel Berkowitz and I had a nice stroll along the river um, and found out that Adam and Heather were going to be in London for a while— we hit them up. They got to go to the British uh, oh, museum, yeah, the museum and see all the Assyrian and Egyptian, uh, yeah, Ar- uh, Ariel ancient Near Eastern stuff. He talks about the British Museum constantly in his lectures, and uh, every time, like every time he he notes something, like he'll note like, "Oh, this document has blah blah in it," and you can find this document in the British Museum. So he's yeah. really, he's he sells it. I really want to go. <laughs> So now Adam emailed me the other day. He's got a whole itinerary now of, of how what they're going to do in London. Oh, um, so cool! So I'm I'm real excited for them. So but. anyway, so you you if you're in if you're in the Valley in Spokane, I highly recommend Heart of Messiah. It was just such a a nice little time. You know, it's it, the the place that they rent is very small and intimate. And uh, honestly, that's one of the things I actually really liked about it. You know, our congregation here to come is about 150. Uh, right around 150 people, and it, man, it was just so nice to to have a, a real c- kind of smaller group. And you guys actually that week when we were in we were you know last last Shabbat when we uh, visited, there was actually a lot of visitors, wasn't there? Yeah, there were. And it, what's strange is that some of our normal uh, visitors or uh, you know uh, fellow worshippers, uh, for some reason, maybe they were out of town. It just uh, we're not there, so. Well, so we've, we filled the seats for you. And, and another thing that re- that I really enjoyed, actually, 
and this has spawned an idea in my mind, is we say, during the worship time we sang Come Thou Fount, which is a very famous hymn. If uh, if you were not raised in the church or if your church didn't uh, didn't sing hymns, uh, you'd probably still know this this hymn. It's it's very famous. Anyway, uh, we sang that hymn and and it gave me an idea. I kind of am thinking about doing a cello, bass, uh, you know, drums kind of CD. Uh, maybe do some recordings and make some messianic music and then kind of build into the messianic, you know, into the CD some some hymns and that being oh, one of Caleb, them. Oh, Caleb, that's that be a fun? great idea. Yeah, I think that'd be a good time. Yeah. Uh, I just need to find somebody who can play the drums well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, so let's get back to the conference. And we're, we're kind of all over the place today and that's just because, you know, uh, Rob and I haven't had a whole lot of time. And because we can't. Yeah, that's right. It's our show. We can do what we want. If you don't like it, quit listening. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. We, we're so happy that we have anyone listening. Actually, somebody the other day just said to me, oh, yeah, I listen to your show all the time. And I thought, man, I, I'm always, I, I don't know why, but I'm always surprised when people are like, oh, yeah, I listen to your show. Um, okay. So back to, the, back to the UMJA conference. So we were blessed to have uh, Rob present. I presented a paper on the, on, a, on the fly. I had about five minutes notice that I was going to be presenting. I presented the same paper that you can find online. And most of you who listen to the show probably already know about it. It's called "Should Messianic Is Messianic Judaism Really a Part of Modern Judaism?" And that's actually not what my paper was about. My paper is really about the uh, the, the theology of the tzaddik. I wrote that paper for a class that I took it to our resource institute entitled. Contemporary Judaisms. I highly recommend that class. It's probably one of my. Fa- I say that every quarter, though. There's always one class that I really like, and this this last quarter was was that class. It was it, Rob was my teacher. It was a fantastic. Class. Hey, you know what, Kale? I want to say too. The advantage for those who have already read your blog post, you know, they've read your paper online. The advantage of going on and and listening to you present is has the advantage of not only uh, the passion that comes across, but also you pause throughout the presentation you pause and and expand on certain ideas that just reading the paper alone won't yeah be, is uh it's just not, not there and so that uh live interpretation feel like you're interpreting your own paper for us mm-hmm. for the audience um is all the reason that that people who've already read it should still go and and uh, check that out. Well, yeah, and uh, I, you know, I forgot to say when you were talking about your your lectures, I'm going to be editing those here probably within the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, within you know two weeks, they'll be up and available on TorahResource.com. Uh, so you'll be able to go and uh, purchase. Uh, f- we'll probably make them available for direct download. I would I would guess, um, but we'll have to see how, how big they are. But anyway, you'll be able to download uh, Rob's lectures that he gave at the UMJ conference. You'll be able to purchase those from TorahResource.com. And uh, mine, uh, since I'm not a scholar, and since this is uh, you know teaching is not actually what I do, uh, well yet at least. Um, you can find mine totally free on the internet. Uh, you can find it on my YouTube page. I don't know what my YouTube page is, actually, to be completely honest with you. But you can find it uh, through finding me on Google+. I'm at, uh, well, I'm Caleb Hag at gmail.com. Okay, um, so let's talk about a couple of the other aspects of the, of the conference. Um, you know, really the highlight for me, you know, I, seeing my dad speak is always is always good. He spoke on... Uh, the passage in John, the high priesthood of, of Yeshua is what my father spoke on in one of his lectures. He also represented a, a lecture on uh, what's new and what's passing away in Hebrews 8. 
which he's given before in the new covenant, God's promise fulfilled. Uh, no, God's promise revealed, I believe it is, uh, which you can find on TorahResource.com. And then uh, he gave one more. Do you remember what his other paper was? Well, his first paper was just uh, from Hebrews chapter 1. Ah, yes. Uh, just uh, talking, unpacking the use of the author to that epistle's, uh, uh, you know, weaving in all these Tanakh passages mm-hmm. um, and talking about Yeshua being... You know, greater than the angels, and and he also talked about the uh, what he suggests to be the historical background for uh, the why the letter was written, what the what these uh, the recipients were confronted with in their world. That's right. He and, talks. He talks about. Uh, he talked a, a bit about his idea. You know, my father believes that uh, Hebrews was written after the destruction of the temple. So, in his first lecture, he, he kind of unpacked why he believes that. You, I'm, yeah. I mean, I remember it specifically, but yeah, that's. Uh, so that was kind of keep going, Rob. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal no, your thunder. There. And that's what he did with his first uh, lecture. Was but of course he does. He did come back and tie reflect back to that point again in the on the what's new and what's passing away session as well uh, because the, being on the in the wake of the destruction of the temple um, what were what are some of the clues in the epistle uh, that help us kind of sketch a, a rough outline of the intended audience and what they were faced with um, and and it's you know, a lot of this stuff is tough to know for sure. And 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 uh, Tim Hague in his presentation says, you know, this is my suggestion. It, it makes a lot of sense from a lot of perspectives. And um, he leaves it to the audience to to dive in and, and, and do some research on their own. Which I which I hope that's the you know at Torah Resource that's what we aim to do. I mean, there are certain areas where we're definitely uh, much more vigilant to to preserve a, a, a specific uh, viewpoint when we really believe that it's anchored clearly and uh, repeatedly in the written scriptures, in the yeah. inspired scriptures. Um, and then there's places where where there's a little bit more unknown and, and we offer suggestions. Well, you know, like I said, my father is always fun to uh, watch, you know, and actually we'll be, my father and I are leaving again on July 10th, which is actually my the my third anniversary of my wedding with my beautiful wife. So she's not too happy I'm leaving on, on our anniversary. But uh, I'm leaving on the 10th with my father. We're going up to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. That's going to be a, a really fun time. My father's teaching on, on uh, marriage for two se- sessions. Then he's going to be ta- talking on prayer, and I'm actually really excited for his lecture on prayer. That should be really good. But, um, so, you know, seeing my father, I see him all the time. I work next to him. You know, he's feet away from me, uh, pretty much every day. Uh, so really, uh, the highlight for me, and there was even a specific session was Ariel Berkowitz. I really enjoyed his lectures. You know, he's very easy to listen to and uh, he's, he's very engaging when he speaks. He, uh, he makes you want to hear more, and he makes you want to know what he's talking about. And uh, for that, I, I really, uh, you know, I appreciate the, the, the lectures that he gives. He gave one specific lecture uh, uh, where he was, and, and to be honest with you, I don't even, 
this is horrible. I don't even really uh, remember what the specific title or you know the emphasis of his paper was, but uh, what he's ta- what he was talking about was the different sects in Jerusalem in of Judaism in the first century, and he was talking about uh, Pharisees as opposed to Sadducees, and uh, then he was also talking about the the council where the council met. So he had pictures of the temple and kind of how the uh, the Jerusalem council would meet in the temple and, and these kind of things. Right. Yeah, that was great. You know, he was unpacking in, in Mark. 11 and 12, where Yeshua is being confronted by different Jewish leaders, like the chief priests, the, the yeah. Pharisees, the Herodians. And so what what uh, our brother from Israel, Ariel Berkowitz, did was take each of those uh, classes of people and give us that, like you said, Caleb, give us some historical background, drawing on Josephus, even some of the early rabbinic texts, as well as some nice visual uh, representations of uh, the way we imagine the temple grounds to be laid out, and how Yeshua teaching in the temple would have uh, you know, she brought that home, particularly also the, the turning over of the money changers' yeah. and, tables and the significance of that act. And I was I was in the you know I mean I went to the conference specifically to, to videotape and to uh, you know do the audio and the video for Torah Resource so that we can get these. Uh, you know, so that we can take these lectures and and and, fi- and eventually get them to you, the you know the consumer who wants to be able to see these exact same lectures. And so all of these hopefully will be up on Torah Resource very soon for you to be able to to, to download or to purchase and and watch. Um, but I was in the back, kind of fiddling with a camera or doing. I don't even remember what I was doing, but I was doing something with you know a camera, and I was kind of listening. I was half listening to what Ariel was talking about. And he had his slides up there and everything like that. So I'm in the back kind of fiddling uh, with something. And, and he's talking about the Pharisees in the temple and, you know, the, the Jerusalem council in the temple. Uh, you know, this is before Yeshua died and, uh, and and rose again, of course. And uh, there was something about what he was saying that just grabbed me. And it was like I had to stop what I was doing. And, and he had me for like the rest of his lecture. I could, you know, I couldn't even hardly do anything else. I was just so fixed on you know, just all the information he was given. And that's how Ariel teaches. If you ever take his, his uh, uh, church history class, man, what a class. It's just it, so much, so interesting. And uh, so we videotaped those as well. Hopefully we will uh, we'll have those up soon. So before we, uh, you know, I know we're coming close to, to the end of our time here. And before we uh, are done... I just want to, you know, reflect on some of the other papers. They, there was a, a significant amount of people besides the, the teachers at Torah Resource Institute who were able. Well, to we re- even to had, we had a student. That's right. Uh, That's from right. Torah Resource give a presentation. Justin Billings, man, he nailed it too. He did really well. He was the first person to present on uh, Wednesday afternoon. He uh, he's a student at Torah Resource Institute. He hails from. I always get this wrong. I believe he's down in Vancouver, Washington. Well, it's Tri-Cities. Tri-Cities. That's right. Tri-Cities. He's from Tri-Cities. And, and, uh, he is a leader and teacher at a Torah community called Lave David, so Heart of David. And his whole uh, family is just a just a, a real. I mean, they're just a great family. You know, him and his his wife and his and his daughter came with him, and uh, man, it was just a it was it was a really good good time. What did he? Uh, you have the notes in front of you, don't you, Rob? Yeah, he spoke on. What was the, the name? Of his I think paper? it was. Hebrews twelve one Yeshua yep. looking to Yeshua as the author and finisher of our faith, and and what does that mean? Actually, I thought it was funny because after he was after he spoke, uh, there were <laughs> some of the other teachers kept saying, "Oh yeah, uh, well, just like you saw in Justin Billings' graph, or you know, in in his graphic here, or you know, it was like he uh, he he just nailed it. He had some really good PowerPoint and whatnot, and uh, so." 
kudos to Justin for that. But then one of the things that I wanted to, to talk about, you know, beyond the um, beyond the idea of uh, West, uh, Wesleyan view as opposed to Sovereign Grace view, the other thing that once again came up is the idea of the uh, authority of the scriptures. And this, to me, is probably one of the saddest things that happens within the Messianic communities today. It doesn't matter what sect you're in. It doesn't matter if you're two house, a sacred name. It doesn't matter if you're one law or, or whatnot. Uh, I believe that that uh, Satan is is really trying to downplay the scriptures, and it's very subtle at times. And we see this throughout the Messianic movement. The idea that for you know somehow God has given some form of of uh, divine authority to the oral writings, you know, the oral traditions, like uh, the the Mishnah, the Tosefta, the Talmud, and then even more recent, uh, uh, the Shulchan Aruch. The idea that these in any way hold some kind of divine sanction and are divinely inspired is not only detrimental, but I believe it is straight from the evil one. I don't believe, you know, and, and it starts out, uh, very subtly, oh, they might have some, you know, they might have some uh, some divine weight. And, of course, a lot of Messianics will turn to the passage where Yeshua says, uh, you know, they, seat, they sit in the seat of Moses. So whatever they say, do, but what they do, don't do, basically, because they're hypocrites. I'm obviously paraphrasing. Um, but this this passage is used to say that 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 Yeshua now has sanctioned the oral traditions of the fathers of the of the rabbis of the second, third, and fourth, and so on centuries. Um, and then there are some people, and this comes in all different forms. Some messianics are saying, "Oh, well, it's just the early rabbis, the rabbis, you know, before the the third century." Uh, but then you have the idea of, well, how do you know what is from the the third century and what's not? Uh, obviously, we have some things written back into the Mishnah and the Talmud. Uh, the Shulchan Aruch is just a completely different, uh, a completely different beast in, in and of itself. Now, I'm not in any way saying, please do not think that I'm saying that we can't gain anything from the uh, Jewish writings like the Talmud, the Tosefta, the Mishnah. We certainly can. Uh, there's there's historical aspects to these books. <clears throat> Pardon me. Beyond that. Beyond that, excuse me, beyond that, um, there is, you know, a lot of these men dedicated their lives to, a lot of these rabbis dedicated their lives to the study of the word, the study of the Tanakh, and they have some great insights. Um, Obviously, many of them, most of them uh, were not believers, all of them perhaps, Um, but that, that doesn't mean that they don't have some great insights. And they don't have some great things to say about about the Word of God, and uh, and and things that we can take to heart, and we can and we can explore ourselves. Um, but the problem is, is that when you start to say that there's divine authority within these books, then what happens is you have to then t- say which parts are divinely uh, inspired, and so on and so forth. And what it does is it turns these books essentially against the apostolic scriptures. We have our oral tradition, but it was written down extremely early, even in, right. even in the first century. And those oral traditions are called the Apostolic Scriptures, the Newer Covenant Scriptures, some people call them, and some people still call them the New Testament. Um, 
So I don't think that we need to be looking for more oral tradition. We don't need to find our identity or anything else within the uh, within these other uh, non-canonical writings. Uh, and, and we saw some of this. We saw some of this exact thing happening at the UMJA conference. And uh, there's one specific person I have in mind, and I'm, I'm sure if you were at the conference, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And I, f- I felt like uh, some of the people at the UMJA, who even are associated with the UMJA conference, Agreed with me that uh, this, you know, that that this person might have uh, overstepped their bounds. Uh, what what were your thoughts on on uh, so, some of those kind of issues, Rob? Yeah, I I agree that there uh, seemed to be a, a small um, but vocal uh, aspect in the larger conference that seemed to uphold uh, the Shulchan Aruch as an authoritative uh, an authoritative and uh, text. Like spirit, like for spiritual life. For those who don't know, this the Shulchan Aruch is a it's a very very late work. Uh, what is it? Eighteen eighteen hundreds? No, it was written. It was written in the sixteen hundreds. Fifteen sixteen hundreds. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it was it was a a recodification of of an earlier uh, medieval codification. Um, I, I think it was Jacob Ben Asher wrote the the tour. It's called Hatur. The and and then later. Um, uh, Joseph Caro, the the mystic who claimed to have a heavenly visitor all the time, you know, that gave him all sorts of instructions, mm-hmm. um, and he wrote this this code called the the arranged table. Shulchan is table. Aruch means it's arranged. It's a it's the set table, and it's basically a law code. It's it's yeah. It's, this it's is a how codification you... of of halacha that would permit the. Jewish person who had a copy of it to refer to it in in all the basics of of living as uh, under rabbinic way uh, the rabbinic way mm-hmm. and it, it was written right at the time that the printing press was taking off and there was a big market for Jewish books among Jews who were you know now all of a sudden Jews who were interested in studying the traditions had. Uh, the ability to purchase printed books and and the Shulchan Aruch was just at a right time and place in that time in history where it was just consumed. Uh, I mean, lots of printings consumed by all uh, Jews throughout Europe uh, and became therefore it just kind of found its place as this authoritative code over time. And in many and in many this day. Orthodox sects, it is still a very. Uh, sacred text. It's what people use to, uh, many, I shouldn't say people, it's what some and I would say many Orthodox continue to use to um, basically map out their halakha within their life and how they live the commandments out within their own personal lives. Anyway. This particular teacher had in his, in the description of his, one of his presentations that says, uh, faith-filled obedience to spiritual authority releases the power of God into our lives. And I just want to take issue with that statement. You know, I mean, that that's not a scripture. He's not quoting scripture there, but he's say, he says, faith-filled obedience to spiritual authority releases the power of God into our lives. And and uh, this whole idea of releasing the power of God into your life. Or, you what, know, spir- or, or what spiritual authority? Exactly. Now, of course, we're taught to do all things unto, unto Yeshua as unto the Lord. And to, you know, Paul says, you know, slaves, serve your masters unto the Lord. You're not really serving them. You're serving the Lord, Yeshua. That's right. So um, 
obedience to authority it really needs to be nuanced there, you know. Uh, but where this particular uh, teacher took that was to be submissive to the rabbis. Mm-hmm. That even uh, to rabbis that have rejected Yeshua, that uh, to submit to their halakha is somehow going to help release the power of God in our life. And I, I just, and I think, uh, you know, I wasn't present for all those uh, uh, sessions, but I know your dad did have a chance to interact with that person a little bit. Well, and my father wasn't the only one. You know, it wasn't just the staff at Torah Resource Institute that, that took issue with this stance. Um, you know, really, there was a lot of people I, th- I felt uh, that were at the conference who kind of raised their eyebrows and said, no, this is not... This is not, and you know what? Honestly, if you think that, uh, and if you went to the conference, if you didn't go to the conference, if you think that we're coming down hard on somebody, uh, this is an issue that is extremely important. Uh, what this speaks to is the doctrine of sola scriptura. Uh, if you don't know what the doctrine of sola scriptura is, it does not mean that the the word of God is the only book that we read. No, we're allowed to read. Of course, we're you know allowed, quote unquote. Uh, we're we're able to read uh, all sorts of different books, uh, whatever we want, commentaries, uh, even the Mishnah, the Talmud, the the Tosefta, even the Shulchan Aruch. We can read these books, but the uh, what Sola Scriptura teaches, and we've talked about this on the Rob and Caleb show. What Sola Scriptura teaches is that the final authority. The final say is the word of God and that we can't hold other people uh, to standards that are not found in the Bible. And I feel like that's exactly what this kind of teaching and, and other people within the Messianic movement are pushing is this idea that we have outside authority, outside of the canon of the Bible, of the 66 books of the word of God. This is, in my mind, it's straight from the evil from the evil one. Uh, this is a doctrine that must be fought. We need to stand up as messianics, as believers, and say, absolutely not. We will not stand for this. And that's why I have no problem uh, you know, talking about these kind of issues and about specific... If, if you're a teacher who's going to get up and say, no, the rabbinic, uh, the rabbinic writings and the rabbinic traditions have, have divine authority, I will fight you on it. Uh, I will stand strong for Sola Scriptura. I believe it is a biblical doctrine. I believe it's a doctrine that we must hold to. And uh, I believe it's, it's uh, a doctrine that's you know that needs to be held by those who uh, affirm Yeshua as the Messiah and those who affirm the apostolic scriptures as part of our canon and so uh, for that I think that uh, you know and not only that but I think personally and I think Rob would agree with me that uh, the doctrine of sola scriptura is one that our great God and Savior Yeshua the Messiah would hold to as well. Mm-hmm.